Well, good morning, friends. Uh, This is podcast number 445 for Thursday, December 23rd, and I pray that you are well. Grab your Bibles. Go to John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14, our memory verse, and our really our key verse, and the word became, circle or underline became, it's a transition word, flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mentioned that we'll be using a paper uh, by Stephen Wellam, and that we'd be going through 10 points, and yesterday um, I mentioned point number one, but I forgot to mention that we'd gotten into point number two, so you can write these down. Number one, the person or active subject of the incarnation is the eternal son. So we're talking about the son of God who is eternal. The word became flesh. Um, Became is a transition word, meaning that he was wrapped uh, in flesh. Greek literally means in fleshing, in fleshing. So wrapped in human flesh, he was placed in human flesh. But it was the word that was placed in human flesh. You see the connection um, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit, that it was not a, uh, a, not a subtraction, but in fact, an addition. So the first one is the person or active subject of the incarnation is the eternal word. We're talking about Jesus, the eternal son of God. And number two, which I forgot to mention yesterday, but we, we covered all the scriptures on it is as the eternal son, the second person of the triune Godhead, He is the full image and expression of the Father and is thus fully God. Jesus is fully God. He's eternal. Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. So he came and wrapped himself in human flesh. He did so for uh, on our behalf. He did it in total obedience to his Father. We'll study that today. But he did it on our behalf. So I wanted to make sure I covered that. So third, we're going to cover this. Uh, again, one, the person or active subject of the incarnation is the eternal son, Jesus Christ. Two, as the eternal, eternal son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, is the full image and expression of the Father and is thus fully God. He's not one or the other. He's both at the same time. Three, write this one down. As God the Son, he has always existed in an eternally ordered relationship to the Father and the Spirit, which is now gloriously displayed in the Incarnation. In other words, this is the Trinity at work. The Trinity at work. As God the Son, He has always existed in an eternally ordered relation to the Father and Spirit, which now is gloriously displayed in the Incarnation. You can play this back and get all those words. So what are we trying to say here? That Jesus always was, always will be. He always was, and he always will be. Let's look at some scriptures uh, that tell us that this is true. And we're going to look at a doctrinal term. I don't want to scare anybody, but a doctrinal term uh, that is imperative that we understand. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at these verses and let's, let's, let's kind of unpack them a little, bit, a little bit. In the beginning was. So when was Jesus? 
he was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was a relationship together. They were never separate and never will be, by the way. Uh, number Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. We need to understand that Jesus Christ always was and always will be. Um, let's look at verses 14 and 18. We looked at 14, and we'll kind of look at it some more. And the word became, underline or circle, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. I mentioned um, that in the Greek it literally means, became means in fleshing. In fleshing, um, that is from D.A. Carson in his book, God With Us. Um, but he became flesh. He didn't stop being God. He became flesh, meaning that the vessel that God chose to use to show himself to the world was the flesh of humanity. Look at verse 18, John 1 verse 18 no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In a world that was polytheistic, in a world that was full of idols, in the world that, um, that, that just added things, what John is telling his readers here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is not an additional God. He is God. He is one with the Father. He is uh, the eternally existent um, Son of God. Now, here's this term that I want to bring up. It says, in the incarnation, this is from his, his words, the Son displayed his divine filial dependence on the Father. Now, I want to look this up. I looked it up for you, and I'll post this link as well. Uh, the term filial, which is F-I-L-I-A. Um, let me make sure I'm spelling that right to you because I have it in a different form. F-I-L-I-A-L, -L, the divine filiation. Now, this is from Friar uh, Angelico's Baptism of Christ. This is a, the Catholic uh, ter, uh, definition of this, but it's based uh, on, on, on the belief of the church. Divine filiation is the Christian doctrine that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God by nature. And when Christians are redeemed by Jesus, they become sons and daughters of God by adoption. This doctrine is held by most Christians, but the phrase divine filiation is used primarily by Catholics. This doctrine is also referred to as divine sonship. This is something that we need to grasp because this is something that affects you and I. You say, well, how can it affect us? Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are accepted in the beloved and we are brought into a relationship with God. Let's look at this. This is important. I don't want to get, um, I don't want to get to a point where you can't understand what I'm saying. I want to try to explain it the best I can. And I apologize if at times it doesn't come across clear, but let's look at some scriptures about this. And, uh, in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, we may only get one of these done today. John chapter 5, uh, I want us to look at um, 
excuse me, I, I jumped ahead here. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. John chapter 1, 11 through 13. It says this, He, Jesus, came to his own, which were the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. Now look at this. This is important. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, who alone has that right to, to make that happen? God, who is the creator of all things. So he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gives us the right to become the children of God, to bring us into this divine relationship. Remember, Emmanuel means God with us, not us with God. We didn't bring ourselves into a relationship with God. God brought himself into a relationship with us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, wrapped in human flesh to pay the price for your sin and for mine. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, the scripture tells us. He died um, a, a willingly upon a cross that was unfair. It was, it was not justified, but it was the plan of God to, for his son to pay the price for your sin and for mine, and he walked in total obedience with his father. Look at um, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. Paul is trying to explain this uh, to us, how we are heirs with Christ. We'll look at verse 12, and we'll read 12... Uh, and following. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Our debt is no longer to the flesh. Why? Because that price has been paid for by Jesus Christ. For if you die according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the if you by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, uh, you will live. If by the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done and brought us in to become heirs and co-heirs, to become uh, sons and daughters, we're going to live as through the Spirit we put to death the things of the flesh. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, underline this, are the sons of God. When we submit our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we... we um, we accept the price that Jesus paid for us. He, he, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again for you and I. Then we are the sons of God. Are. We are. Not will be. We are now. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. We've received this as a gift from from the Lord. Through the life of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We, Jesus went through everything on this earth he needed to do, and he did it under the complete obedience, and in a re in relationship, in a oneness with his Father and with the Spirit. 
Look at uh, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I hope that I'm making this, this clear to you that our relationship with Christ is so much more than our, just a relationship with the church or a relationship with a pastor. Um, it is so much more. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We should look so much like Christ that the same reaction that this world had to Christ, uh, had to Christ they would have to us. Verse 3, 2, Beloved, we are children now, now. As we walk on this earth and what we will be has not yet uh, appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. Turn back to second Peter. Turn back to second Peter chapter one, verses three and four. Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four. Peter says this. His divine power has granted, underline has granted, to, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into, into his glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That is what Christ has done for us. He's brought us into this divine relationship with the Father, the, the Spirit, and the Son. We're together. We're in this together. We walk in this. We don't walk in our own power. He's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness because of our knowledge of him and because he has granted us sonship, divine sonship, so that we are one with him. That's so important for us to get. Jesus always acted in relationship to the Father by the Spirit in oneness, um, unified as one, and that is what we should do as well. We should walk in oneness. Our lives should be one of obedience. Why? Because we are heirs and joint heirs, because we are adopted into the family as sons and daughters, because we are made one and a part of his divine nature. Jesus made that possible because of what he was willing to do for us. And again, it appears that we're, we're moving towards his sacrificial death, but we need to also talk about his sinless life. As we head up to, to Christmas, that's what I really want to focus on is Jesus' birth and his sinless life. But, but the two... Uh, but but it's married to the fact that he also gave his life. Why did he live a sinless life? To pay the price for your sin and for mine. And he did it by walking in total obedience to his father. Let's look at John chapter 5. Jesus heals a man at the pool. And, uh, and he does it on the Sabbath. And he does it on purpose. Because... He's the Lord of the Sabbath. 
but they don't understand that. Jesus didn't run from these confrontations. He brought these up not to be confrontational, but to be transformational. He wanted to teach them about himself. Look at first, uh, excuse me, John chapter 5 at verse 17, which is the end of that story, but it really ties in well. And it says, uh, verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. My father is working until now. He's always been at work and I'm working. There's a continuation. Why? Because we're one. Look at verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus didn't run from that. He ran to it. Jesus didn't try to hide it. He ran towards it, and he wanted them to understand, and they did. The religious rulers understood what he was saying. They wanted to kill him because he's made himself the Lord of the Sabbath and he made himself one with his father. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works uh, then these will he show him so that you may marvel. Why does he show him these things? You're going to marvel at this. Jesus said, if you don't believe me because of the words that I speak, believe me because of the works that I do. Why? Because the works that I do show that I came from the Father. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father uh, who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. For he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Oh, that you should spend some time in that scripture tonight unpacking that. There is so much there. We're going to leave it there, and we may even just jump right back in here and unpack this for tomorrow. We didn't get very far today, but that's okay. I'm not in a hurry to to talk about um, or to to finish talking about my Savior and my Lord, and I know you're not either. Um, let me let me close with uh, a benediction in Second Peter three eighteen. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God bless you. Until we talk again.